GM. Let's go. Put it in the box. And make it 14 as he gets Anderson looking. Jacob DeGrom ties his career high with 14 strikeouts. Scooter and the big man busts the city in half, and the Mets lead it. A grand slam high off the right field foul pole. He's done it again. Francisco Lindor. That's driven to deep right field, headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Jeff McNeil breaks the ice with his 23rd home run of the year. Uh, amazing city. Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Amazing City episode. Uh, how many? How many? How many? Um, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Episode a lot. Yeah, uh, Jack. It's been a while. I think we haven't talked since the Hall of Fame induction, where it was only David Ortiz. So, how you been in this time? Good. Feels weird. You know, it should be baseball season right now, but you know. Sport can't get out of its own way. Owners can't get out of their own way. There's not much you can do about it. Um, you know, just hope for a quick resolution. Things we've held, you know, get a little bit of nuggets here and there about like random free agency stuff and like, you know, who was interested in who before what happened and before the lockout and all that. You know, like with today's Juan Soto report. And, you know, it's still prospect season. Mm. You know, so you got those rankings coming out, those guys starting to report to camp soon. You know, if you're an out-of-market person, you know, or you pay for your subscription to MLB TV for whatever reason, minor league baseball TV will still be up and running. Minor leaguers will still be playing as long as they're not on the 40-man roster. So, you know, you'll still be able to see the likes of, you know, um, JT Ginn, Francisco Alvarez, you know, Alex Ramirez, Brett Beatty, guys of that sort. Still going to be able to be in games, be in action. You can stream most of all games on MILB.TV. I have it. Very useful. Comes in very handy. And, you know, we're all going to need a baseball fix soon. And not everyone can do the whole college baseball thing. Yeah. I'm Either that or get ready to watch more uh, KBO at 3 o'clock in the morning if that's, if that's yeah, your go, jam. Yeah, go, go watch your local high school baseball games. There you go. <laughs> Just find a field and watch some baseball because it looks like, uh, looks like we may need it. I think in the past couple episodes, I've always had that that soft deadline for, for my own head is if there's no deal by Valentine's day, it's, it's tough for me to really justify in my mind that there's going to be a full season. And is it possible that there is still a full season? Yeah, absolutely. They can cut into spring training, which uh, as we know by now from the players saying, most of them don't get paid during spring training anyway, especially the minor leaguers. So it's not going to affect the owners. It doesn't affect the players because it's something they're already used to. So shorten the spring training there. And as we said, it's less strain on the people's bodies. Instead of yeah, the I think it 28 games, make it a 20 or 15 game yeah. spring training. What's the right. difference? And I, and I think it came out a couple of days ago that I, that I think the league gave the union like a calendar of like what, when they think they need to deal by without having to jeopardize the beginning of any games. You know, I don't think the dates ever came out, but you know, I think you'd be foolish to assume we've already hit that date because in theory, like you said, you could still probably have a four week spring training. I think they needed a four week spring training to be able to not miss any games. So, you know, I think you're hopeful that because they have that, that calendar, we might start to get a little more action. I read some report today on Twitter that there's a, a meeting scheduled for later this week. Mm-hmm. You now you just hope at some point cooler heads prevail. Somebody puts on their big boy pants and lets their balls drop and get something done. Yeah, man. Like 
it's tough. It's I mean, tough. It's, it's, it's tough. See, just reading the reports on Twitter of what what certain parties are asking for and and just how far apart can we these unions are. Can we right talk? Can, can we talk for a minute about the league's proposal to be able to cut minor league jobs whenever they want? Man, I, I think there's only one word for that, and that's reprehensible. That's just grotesque. It's ugly. That's a terrible. That's already look. three words. <laughs> Yeah, well, fuck it, man. <laughs> I'll give you as many words as I need to. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's awful. It's terrible for the game. You're shrinking your game. And, you know, for all the slack that people like to give Roger Goodell and Adam Silver, and, you know, understandably so. And people like to give the committee and in, in college football when it comes to playoff selections. No, like, governing head or deciding head at the top of their league does more to hurt their game than Rob Manfred does. Yeah, that's like I'm saying. It's 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 tough sitting back and watching John Heyman and Jeff Pass and put out these and you know others, of course, but those are the main ones. Just put out these reports of what's being asked and really just what it does, just from a, a, a pure um, a pure optic standpoint. It looks bad. I was talking to a couple of people from work today, and just the the thought of of two shortened seasons and three seasons in two, three years, that's a bad look for the game. Having your your highest people in authority saying, whenever we want to, we can cut the jobs of minor leaguers, of people that are getting paid pennies on the dollar, that's a bad look on the game. And just again, like just the absolute discrepancies between what the owners are looking at and what the players are looking for, it's rough. It's, it's rough, and you're, it's getting to the point now where we're seeing a lot of players be very, very outspoken. I know – I think Kevin Gosman put out a nice little thread. I think Alex Wood did as well. A lot of people. Jack Flaherty is always outspoken on the issues. Um, but it's also just Max getting – Max Scherzer. Uh, yeah, uh, he's one of the, the top player reps, not even just on the Mets, but in all of baseball. And it even got to the point where – uh, Trevor May on one of his latest live streams, he went on a nice little two, two and a half minute rant, a little ramble on just really <laughs> I, the best way I could say are, are the tensions rising from the players. Uh, so I'm going to play the audio guys for you now. So again, it's, it's not looking great. And over and leaks and da uh, and da uh, and, uh, and like, it's just, it's all just manipulation and it's all a chessboard move. It's just this big chess game. And the chess game needs to go to the very, very end to get the maximum benefits for the owners. So this is not going to be a good faith negotiation. Not a single negotiation with the guy has been in good faith. He doesn't do good faith things. Good faith means, ooh, I want you to come out in, in a situation where you're happy, but I also want to be happy. This is more of, a, he goes, as long as I'm happy, I don't care if you're happy. That's the way that it's being approached. See, good faith needs to stop being said bad faith he's just good faith doesn't exist so stop acting like it was even a possibility it's not the way he operates so yeah as you heard uh trevor may has uh has some comments speaking from his standpoint and what the players are are thinking about during these negotiations and just this lockout it, it seems pretty clear they want to play it kind of brings me back to in 2020 where the players were just putting out on Twitter anytime, anywhere, or whatever it was. Now it's uh, at the table. So um, it's clear that you have more too. thoughts than I do on this. So Jack, I'm going to hand it off to you. Let's, let's just hear your completely unfiltered thoughts on the lockout. 
So I'll come first from like a labor side of this because I, I don't, I'm not a law student. I don't study labor relations, but I'm currently undergrad poli sci. So I understand a little bit about labor relations and just the concept of unionizing and all that. And this is why they unionize. This is why we have a player's union. This is why players have their union. But in the same breath, you're looking at the large scope of things. This is why owners in the league don't want minor league players a part of that union because they want the free will and the free, the free will and the free reign to be able to cut back on jobs, to be able to cut salaries, keep salaries as low as they want at their will without much of contention. That's why there is no minor league baseball players union. Because for being honest, we don't like, I, I don't even know if like if every minor leaguer pooled their money and they try and start a union, these guys are barely getting by in the first place. They're not going to have the, the extra spare, you know, excess income to be able to try and unionize. So that's, that's I think, the first major flies is that the concept of having like, the reasons behind having a union are out in full force right now. But also the major flaw minor leaguers face is that they don't have a union and that's being exploited right now. The second part of that is I do think it's really cool to see you know, a lot of like active major leaguers, um, all like like active major leaguers, guys who make the show. You know, even if Max Scherzer, highest I ha, well, crap, highest average annual income or average annual value, however you want to phrase it, in major league history, who is fighting for the next group. He's fighting for that wave of minor leaguers. He's fighting for the guys who aren't going to make it to the show. You know, because that that's the harsh the harsh truth, is that more guys are going to get their seven years and get cut if they even make the seven years than guys are even going to get put on the 40-man roster. I think The Athletic put out an article on today. Former Met legend Sam McWilliams did not appear in the major leagues last year but was 40-man rostered all year. So he's somewhere in, like, labor limbo right now. He's not protected by the lockout, but he's also not – but he's also a 40-man roster – a 40-man rostered player. So he can't go to these camps. He can't go to facilities. But he's also not covered as a, as a major leaguer. So you, you find all these weird loopholes and you find all these issues of things going on right now. But I think in the end what it comes down to is you have to understand what each side is asking. You know, I think the players are asking at, at, the, at its most core level. The players are asking for better pay for baseline salaries. They're asking for more opportunities for more players. They're asking for better representation for themselves and a better share in the revenue. And I believe they're also asking for a higher luxury tax. I believe you're right. On I think that. both. I, I, I believe both sides are trying to raise the luxury tax. I don't think that's much of an issue. Right, but but even like what, like what universe- Martino put out not too long ago that baseball might be proposing a hidden salary tax within that. I didn't read the article. I just kind of read the headline. So shame on me for that, but no, I'm blocked. (laughs) That doesn't doesn't shock me. Um, Hold on. To be fair. I got blocked because of the deadline. He said Max Scherzer was not, did not want to trade the New York Mets. So I said, Max Scherzer, he will be a Met. He blocked me at that Max Scherzer signed with the Mets. So man, just a goddamn profit. Yeah. Okay. So uh, tucked within its current collective bargaining proposal is an increase that, uh, that many on the player side and even according to sources, some of the club side believe will function as a cap. 
No, I definitely think that's possible. I mean, I think we, you know, and that that might just be like a Steve Cohen effect. Absolutely. And just the fact that, you know, I think when you look at the NBA and the NFL, major deals are kind of shared around. Yeah. You know, I, you know, the richest deal in football history is coming out of a mid market in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. You know, Green Bay is paying quarterback $46 million next year. Right. You know, maybe. and that's not a major, maybe, it might be Denver. But, you know, that's not a major sports market. It might be a bigger football market than a baseball market. Mm-hmm. But it's still not like a top-tier American sports market. So I think you have more parity in contracts going around in other leagues, whereas you look at baseball, you know, most major contracts, Dodgers, Angels, Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, the Marlins at first. Mm-hmm. But even then, Miami's still a huge media market. Yeah. You know, and at that time, and at the time when the Marlins rebranded and were bringing in Jose and Hanley and all that, or were extending Hanley, the Heat were at the top of their game, and it was a it was a focal point in sports. But I think part of the issue you you're going to see is that this might be a way, you know, because I think a lot of a lot of the, like what the players want is you know to de-incentivize tanking, you know they want more competition, they want a more competitive field, they don't want you know, to be in a spot where 26 guys are on a roster, but that ownership and that management has no intention of winning. You know, and I think part of the main issue in baseball right now is, you know, the Pirates have been tanking for half a decade. You know, the Orioles have been tanking since 2014, since 2016. Yeah. You know, you have, you have these teams, even the Royals, you have these teams that are on like, that have been tanking for four or five, six years, but haven't started to kind of turn the corner. Whereas in basketball, you more see like, you know, the Bulls gave it a run with, I think that was Rondo, Wade, whoever, you know, Jimmy Butler. They gave it a run, didn't work. They tanked for a little bit, stockpiled on draft picks. Then when they were ready, made the necessary moves for a DeMar DeRozan, mm-hmm. for a Zach Levine. I mean, even in the NFL, the Broncos realized their time was up, tanked, started bringing in some good draft picks, brought in better coaching. Now they're a quarterback away from being a legit contender. Look at the Bengals. They were two years ago. Yeah. They had the top pick two years ago, and that wasn't with trading yeah, up. That wasn't with any of that. They were just either. they were just a bad team. Bad. They got and two years, bad. they got their quarterback. They got a wide receiver. They they got a, a running back. Boom, Super Bowl. Right, and I even think like even if you look at it like, you know, like the Browns, what the Browns were for all those years. Sometimes there are just going to be anomalies in sports where you just can't get it right, no matter how hard you try, and that's fine. And that's fine. But we can't sit here and be like, well, the Browns never try. They just they only drafted tackles and guards with their top picks. Right. They they took chances on guys that just didn't pan out. And that's gonna happen. You're gonna have those type of anomalies in sports. Oh yeah. Like, you know, you're just, you're just gonna miss on picks. Right. You're just gonna miss on picks for however long. You're just gonna have, you know, even like the Cubs, like, you know, you give all this money to Jason Hayward, he doesn't work out. So be it. But you still try. Mm-hmm. But I think we're at a point now where I think a, a salary floor is almost more important than any sort of salary cap because i think i put it out a couple weeks or maybe a month or so ago now like if the mlb were to institute like a 75 million dollar cap floor seven or eight teams would fall short yeah yeah and some teams it's by a couple million dollars here and there but still go sign yeah go sign a couple relievers to you know seven figure deals and you're fine Mm mm-hmm but, you know, like the, like, I think the Indians have like $40 million in payroll next year. Yeah, it's bad. 
And, you know, for all the faults the Vopons had, they at least still tried to win and tried signing guys. Sure. To fulfill. Right. And granted, the Vopons were not the richest owners in baseball. By the time they sold, I believe that their, like, public net worth was a little over $500 million. Grant's a lot higher now. But, again, back <laughs> to this issue, you, you now have, like, you really kind of we, – we live in a like, – I don't want to say a society now, but, like, you live in, like, a league world where all your major contracts are going to be signed – on the free agent market, the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Red Sox, when they have, you know, when they feel it's time for that, you know, you have random teams every now and then they're going to feel like they're in the place where they have low enough salary and enough other pieces. You know, like the Tigers, you can go make a run at a buy-in. You can go throw money at Cray and see what happens. The Cardinals do it every now and then yeah, where they go and sure. trade for Goldie and Arenado and then lock them up to extension. Mm-hmm. The Padres do it every place two years. Now, right, the, the Padres. You know, and they whiffed on Hosmer. It's fine. But then they turn around and they try again and they hit on Machado. Mm-hmm. So I just think we're in a place now where more so than any other sport, tanking is, is like, it's like, it, it's, it's expected. It's expected. The NFL, you tank, you turn around in maybe four to five years and you have 20 something more roster spots to fill. Yeah. It's an unfortunate part of baseball, but as you said, it's a part of baseball. Going to Cleveland, I feel like it's a it's a bigger right. Going back Go to on. Cleveland, I, I looked up their their payroll for this year as of right now, as of February sixteenth, is twenty nine million dollars. To put it into pathetic. comparison, Francisco, Francisco Lindor makes more. three million more this year than the entire Cleveland Guardians roster. Therein lies the issue. Like just- Therein lies the issue. And I just, I, you know, the Dolans have been crying poor for years. Yeah. You know, the Dolans have been doing the whole shed payroll thing while they were still in their in the championship window. Like yeah. Two years after coming within a couple bounces of a World Series ring at home. We'll be on a shed salad. The Hoyers. Chicago. Yeah. Not the Hoyers. Um, God, what's that? The Ricketts. The Ricketts are crying poor. But they're worth like $4 billion. The A's do this every year. 95% sure last time I checked, their owner's worth like $3 billion. <laughs> One of the richest but they can't keep baseball. a payroll above $70 million. Yeah. I'm pretty sure their family owns like Gap or something. But, but at least they're in the 70s. They're in that ballpark. Cleveland, who, again, as you said perfectly, they were, they were within inches of winning a World Series. They were in Game 7. And then it was like that offseason where their owner openly said, enjoy Francisco Lindor while you can. They said publicly, essentially, and look at them now. they had no interest in resigning him. And, and you know what? And this ties back to my point. All the major deals and the major contracts are being going to be signed by the same four, five, six teams, with the exception of the wild card here and there. Yep. He gets traded to the richest to the team with the richest owner in baseball, who then signs them to a monster extension. Exactly. But that's not. And I don't necessarily think that's the issue of the Mets, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Yankees, Red Sox, whoever. You know, if, if these dudes are going to run their show out their ass, might as well take advantage of it. For sure. But that's the issue. We you know, now like, know that there's, from- there's a new labor meeting tomorrow at 1 o'clock. So hopefully there's some there's at least progress. I'm not expecting a deal tomorrow. I'm fully expecting if the meeting's at 1 o'clock, by 2.30 – 
we're going to see a passing tweet. There is no deal. There never was going to be a deal or whatever he, however he phrases it. I'm fully expecting that. But as, as the next couple of days go on, I'm hoping to see that from this meeting tomorrow, there's progress that the gap between what the owners want and what the players want is closing because damn it. I just want baseball. I got so excited to see that the Baltimore freaking Orioles sign shed long today because it's baseball news. I got so excited for multiple reasons that Juan Soto turned down a multi-million, like a, a bajillion dollar contract extension. Can you imagine, Jack, how old are you? 19. You're 19. So imagine in three years, someone approaches you to say, hey, for the next 13 years, we're going to give you $350 million. You're going to say no to that? Imagine being in no. a position to be able to say no, and no one's going to argue it. Oh, God, Juan Soto's only four years older than me. Buddy, Juan Soto's three years younger than me. <laughs> Think about it that way. Oh, God. Oh, it, it's, this is, I think this is going to be the first year with the draft where most of the guys or all the high school players are going to be younger than me. It's a wild feeling. I remember – watching the NFL draft where the John drafted Saquon. And I'm like, wow, this guy's younger than me. <laughs> just, it, it makes me so upset. But well, it's, it's, it's only it's you've had about as you have, you've had about as, as, as impactful of an NFL career as Saquon Barkley has had. Yeah. Well, he's got one more rookie of the year than I do. So. Never drafted running back at two. Oh, well, I mean, you could have told me that, um, but yeah. But anyways, back to the Mets. Um, <laughs> Segway. But yeah, you, you know what, Jack? I got to say, I got to say, Jack, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you there. Because I even gave you the caveat of an unfiltered thought. Not one F-bomb. Very proud of you. That, my friends, is growth. <laughs> that is Character growth. development. <laughs> you don't even edit those out. No. I'm not going to cut out your personality. Come on now. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, there, there, there are other things to talk about. As you said before, prospects, we got prospects. We got some minor league stuff to talk about. So, uh, of course, Francisco Alvarez is a, is a consensus top 10 to 15 prospect in all of baseball, which is incredible. Uh, the, the comparisons I think are, are a little, little, little staunch to my eyes. I liked, I liked the comparison from ESPN. I think that's an interesting one. Were they the one that, you know, that some compared sort of... between Salvi and Will Smith? Yeah. I think that's I that's think fair. that's an interesting one. And I think that's a fair one. Um, granted, they did have the caveat of, you know, this is all subject and assuming his defense continues to improve and his framing can improve because his framing is a train wreck right now. He's got a strong arm. But, you know, it's, you know, you're not quite at crunch time yet where you have to put it all together. You know, if I had to guess – Probably starts in Binghamton this year. He's not going to be in AAA, at least to start the year. He didn't get a late-season promotion, you know, like we saw from Beatty and Vientos. Um, but, yeah, like you said, he's a consensus top 10 to 15 guy. There's some good love for Brett Beatty still, you know, really anywhere between the 30 and mid-50s range, which, you know, will come and go depending on how heavily you look at his ground ball rates. He still puts a lot of, ground, a lot of baseballs in the ground. You know, the power's there, the defense is there, which is, I think, the most important part. You know, because coming out of high school, he was kind of, you know, I think the the view on him was he can hit, 
where the fuck is he going to play? Right. But now I think we're at the point where he's a bona fide third baseman. He kind of commands himself very well over there. He understands – I think he understands the position well. And I think he's at a point where it's not a question mark going forward. But that being said, if he's a ground ball machine, you know, I think at that point you might be looking more like a third base air Cosner with a little bit better average. And those people but, that know my know, thoughts on Eric Cosmer does not, that does not make me excited. No, but I mean, again, like I do think it's something they can work on. The Mets do have a good player development structure in place. Now I do like the changes they made to it. You know, I definitely think we can trust um, Ryan Howard and Hugh Quattlebaum and the processes they have in place and Ben Zosmer and, you know, the Mets analytics department to be able to help Beatty get to where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was definitely some serious love for Mark Vientos was you know, surprising me a little bit. I don't know. I don't think too much of any of it has to do with, you know, now like a universal DH being in place going forward, but it doesn't hurt. You know, if you're at the point where you're a great bat, but you're positionless, it's, you know, there's an easy, easier path to the show for you now. So I definitely think that helps. Um, you know, the walk to strikeout rate is his, that's his huge thing. If right. he can keep the walks up and control the strikeouts, he will be fine. The bat will play. It doesn't really matter where you put them as long as you're not running out of shortstop. <laughs> the bat will definitely or, play. You know, the bat will play as long as he can keep the strikeout and walk rates where they were. You know, it's really what he struggled with, you know, getting drafted and then his first couple of years and short season and then full season. But, you know, it really stabilized after the first couple of weeks last year. Um, you know, I'm definitely a big believer in his bat. When I talked to Mark Tremuto over the summer, he thought he could be a 30 to 40 home run guy when he reaches, if he reaches his max potential. You know, and this is from a guy who admittedly always underestimates home runs, always underestimates raw power. He did it on Conforto. He said he did it on Nemo, said he did it on Alonzo. You know, so admittedly, you know, Mark talks about – Mark told me that he's always off on power. He doesn't project enough power. So for him to sit there and say he thinks Vientos can put out 30 to 40 homers at his peak says a lot. That definitely says a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's again, where is he going to play? Where is he going to play? I don't think the numbers at third base are good. I think, you know – he could be a rich man's J.D. Davis. Right. I think – and I, I don't love player comparisons in terms of, oh, who does it look like on the main roster? You know, because it's stupid. <laughs> but I don't love comparisons as they are because, you know, each player is their own entity. You know, I, I don't – so I don't love overall comparisons. I definitely think the bat is better. But I just think the overall mindset and how Mets fans will look at him, you know, I definitely think it's more fair to say he's going to be looked in a J.D. Davis type light of just be serviceable. Yeah. Don't be awful at third base and your bat will keep you in the lineup. I've had a couple of people ask me, you know, is he just like Alonzo with less hype? No. No. Because Alonzo didn't nearly have the track. You know, Vientos doesn't have the track record of minor league success that Alonzo had. You know, Vientos was fairly highly touted coming out of the draft. Um, it was a second round pick. Yeah. Just came out. Right, and Vientos came out a premier. He was drafted as a shortstop, came out as a premier, premier position player, you know. So a shift to third base, where now he's even questions at third base, you know. But it's good to see him getting some serious love. It's a good sign for the Mets. Um, Keith Law threw Alex Ramirez in there. Yeah, that, that was going to be the guy. Five ranked up. prospect of the team, his number one, number one hundred overall. Very toolsy, but very raw. You know, it's going to be interesting to see where he. So where he kind of goes from there. And I definitely think from an organizational standpoint, it's important considering the lack of outfield depth that the Mets currently have in their farm system. 
you know, obviously they traded away Pete Crow Armstrong, but even right. before that, there were questions coming off a major shoulder surgery. You know, I talked to some prospect guys. I'm in a group chat on Twitter with a bunch of prospect guys. You know, Mike Mayer said himself, you know, he he would be incredibly hesitant, hesitant and doesn't think he'd rank Crow Armstrong anywhere on any top 100 list or in wouldn't even feel comfortable ranking him on a Mets list until he at least sees him in action again or sees him swing again. Right. Because I think we, you know, it seems like it's a consensus that the shoulder surgery he had was a little undersold. So, mm. you know, that might be something that can mess with your swing long term. So, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of questions there, but it's definitely good to see, you know, Ramirez getting some love. You know, he was in St. Lucie last year, but it's only like a 7 10 OPS, five homers. Um, you know, but what I do like to see is that I, I like prospects more that need to develop power instead of an eye. And Ramirez did have a large enough, I think a big enough climb between his OBP and his average. His average was 258, his OBP was 326. I do think there's enough of the gap there to not really have to worry too much about his eye. You know, just more so developing that power. But again, he just had a, his first full season of stateside play last year. He's only 19. He's 6'3", coming in at like 175, 180. So, and he, you know, he still has time to fill out. They're not going to rush him by any means. It's definitely nice to see him get some love. Um, suspectfully, is that a word? We're going with it. Sure. Missing from a lot of these lists was Matt Allen. You know, high upside, mid to high 90s, big right-hander. But, you know, he's only thrown 10 professional innings. Mm-hmm. So there's questions there. Personally, I'll always take the arm prospect over the bat. I think arms are better bat long-term than bats, and I think – you can get a better read on them right away than you can bats. So I, I personally, I still have Matt Allen over Mark Vientos, but that's also more so me looking at the full picture potential, not necessarily like what we saw out of them last year. And Allen's still young enough that Tommy John, A, is not a career ender. For most guys, they end up fine after it. You know, it's really after your second or in some cases your third that it starts to become a problem. So there's no reason to think he won't rehab well. But, you know, again, some people are, you know, bullish on it because he's probably not going to be back until June or July, at least back pitching in full games. You know, um, so obviously there's some concern there. Uh, JT Ginn didn't crack any top 100 lists. He still kind of sits in the five, six, seven range for organizational top 10. I don't love sinker ball for starters just because I, I just don't love sinker ballers in general. Mm. You know, I've talked to some – some evaluators who think who are a little bullish on the shape of Gin's sinker, you know, so it might not even really be a true sinker, but you know, questions to be had with him too, you know, like is the velocity going to get fully back this year? It was starting to get there at the back end of last year, but it wasn't totally there. You know, the Mets don't think there's any reason to believe that the velocity won't get back, but you know, obviously there's concerns considering he was re- you know coming off Tommy John at Old Miss as well. So, you know, I mean, just a couple more names to loosely touch on. Uh, Dominic Hamill out of Old Dominion. Oh, God. Was it Old Dominion or Texas Baptist? Oh, God. Uh-oh. But, you know, right-handed the Mets took last year. Dallas Baptist. I was so close. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 6'2", righty out of college. Pretty solid numbers. Um, you know, he, I think, is a guy who kind of got slept on a little bit. He definitely, you know, kind of fits into that back in the top 10 range. He's some solid depth to the system that they didn't really have. Calvin Ziegler out of Canada, their second round pick last year, pushing 100 as a teenager. I remember 
reading and listening to breakdowns on him. He doesn't have a true slider, but it's also not a true curveball. It's like some sort of gyro. It's not even like really like a sweeping curve earlier. It's like some sort of just heard it called a gyro breaking ball, you know. So, but he's only really got two strong pitches right now. I think the next step for him obviously is developing the third, getting him into short season games. JT Schwartz, big lefty bat, not a lot of power, at least in the college ranks. I think he hit like 10 or 11 homers last year, which is still good for college. But, you know, first base, looking at it overall, it's a power position. You'd like to see a little bit more power there. This wasn't a ton. So you really hope that that can develop, but it's another solid bat for them. Um, definitely some definitely some names to keep an eye on. I think most people are kind of starting to see the Mets system in more of like, you know, like the middle of the pack range. Which is nice to finally see nice it there because it, it's taken it's taken a long, long while to get back to this point, um, where even the we could say the Mets have a respectable foreign system because for the past, I gotta say, close to a decade, it's been near the bottom. So that's one of the things that I, I even have to I I should talk this guy every time I get the chance to, but that's even something that Brody did a nice job of through the draft the, the draft developing and improving the farm system, and of course once. Uh, uh, when Sandy came back, he even he that's that was one of his focuses where he built the farm system even more. But you talked on the guys that I want to talk about a lot, the Brett Beatty, who on MLB, MLB Pipeline was ranked not only the second best uh, prospect in the Mets system, but the top third base prospect overall in all of baseball. So that's nice as a 22 year old at uh, 855 OPS last year, 12 home runs, which in about 330 at bat so that can equate to about it, it's not it's not a fair comparison but about 24 25 home runs in a regular season so that's nice uh alex ramirez keith law loves this guy he's 18 years old he's one of two 18 year olds in low ace uh, the southern league so that's that's impressive gave him 70 power which is on a 20 80 scale so he's saying he could have the plus plus power called him a plus plus defender with 25 to 30 home run potential so that could be a nice little guy to watch out for. And the other guy I want to touch on, of course, is, as you said, Matt Allen. I'm, I'm still very excited to watch this kid develop and grow throughout the Mets system. I, I truly think he, he's going to be kind of underseen this year for some reason because of the Tommy John injury. But you look at, at the, the hype that he had throughout the draft and the way that the Mets had to maneuver their draft around him just to have enough money to sign him. It was impressive in the first first place to get that done. So now uh, it's, yeah, like you said, it's only the 10 professional innings, but I'm still very, very curious to see what this guy can develop into. I think he'd be a high-end starter. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully he, he improves this year. And yeah, it is kind of unfair to to go that the player comparison route with Mark Vientos, but you understand where the people are coming from, where they call him, you know, uh, like a, excuse me, where they compared him to J.D. Davis. The bat's there. It plays. It's got power. He could hit for a decent average. However, he'll strike out more than anything. The, the strikeout-to-walk ratio is not going to be there. It's not going to be anything, anything eye-opening. It's going to be a problem. But if he can improve on that, then he's going to be a long-time major leaguer. He could have that career where he's, he's hanging around for 10 to 12 years based on, on his bat production. So the Mets prospect list is growing. The Mets farm system is improving. Uh, I'm with you where PCA didn't do a whole lot for me, but that's kind of, I definitely think there's a couple more names worth mentioning. Um, I think Jake, Jake Mangum's 
definitely one to mention. Oh yeah. You know, he was kind of seen as a bat, like, like a contact bat defense and speed first type guy, totally flipped the script on that last year, started striking out more average and was not up to where it usually was, but started producing a lot more power. Jalen Palmer's really toolsy. You know, there's a lot of raw talent there. It's just more so getting it all to start to mesh. And I think one guy that I've been alerted on, others have been alerted on that I think we really should be looking out for. 17 years old, right-hander Joel Diaz, who gets rave reviews down down at their Dominican complex. You know, I know I've read people's, people's reports on him, electric righty, you know, he's got great stuff. But, you know, 17, still young, still raw, still mm. a long ways to go. Um, you know, I think, you know, we know the book on, you know, the Carlos Rincones. We know the books on, you know, Carlos Cortez, a Khalil Lee. We know what they are. You know, I don't think, you know, obviously this is this will be a big year for Lee. Be a big year for a guy like a Nick Plummer. Um, Junior Santos you know, even is more guy so, for me, only 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, but I think at the same time, there have been reports that, you know, he, the book on him was an electric righty, but the velo is dipped, sitting 90, 91, 92, and it's not what you want out of a guy who's supposed to be like an electric fastball first type of guy. Right. And, you know, I'll shout out Mike Mayer again here, looking at his rankings. He got, he has international signing, uh, Simon Juan, and is his number – 18 prospect. The Mets had a pretty strong international class this year. You know, you bring in him, you bring in Willie Fanyas, uh, who Mike has ranked as his number 30 prospect. You know, I brought up Eric Orzi earlier. That's some, as you know, prospects live had them, had him as their eighth best prospect overall. That's some insane love for a reliever who was taken out of college. He has a crazy story, you know, cancer survivor. Just lucky to thinks he's lucky just to still be playing. It's impossible not to root for the guy. But I think overall, it's a farm system that's looking up. They're building good depth. They have some great draft capital going into the year. You have two first-round picks, compensatory picks for Syndergaard and Conforto, probably around six top 100 draft picks. You know, Tanos and Tremuda are going to have their work cut out for them. And I think overall, the Mets have had some pretty strong drafts lately. I think the philosophy has kind of shifted back from the Brodian way of, you know, Get, get your lottery tickets and fill out the rest. I, th- I think especially since the draft is shortened up to 20 rounds, you want to make all 20 picks useful and worthwhile. But, you know, it's, it'll be a big, it'll be a, a big draft in July for the Mets to say the least. Yeah. Uh, very well said. Very, very well said there. Cause I'm just happy we're going to be able to talk about some baseball. I know it's minor league system and it's, it's not my, my forte, but it's, as you can see, it brings a smile to my face talking about any, any sort of level of baseball, but it, we, we do need to talk about something a little bit more serious here and it's going to kind of wipe the smile off both of our faces. Um, this whole thing with Matt Harvey and the Eric Skaggs case, it's, it's, this is going to sound bad. Yeah, it doesn't shock me. It's not surprising the stories that he was saying and the information that was coming out. However, surprising or not, troubling, it's a problem and it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting to see 
some of the stuff come out from that and the response to it from many people from the, within the Mets family, if you want to call it that, the Mets organization reacting to it, the Mets fans reacting to it. And the story itself is, is upsetting on several fronts. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, no, it's not it's, great. It's not it's, great. No, it's, it's, it's not surprising, unfortunately. You know, you hoped the first time you had the nosebleed game, you just kind of, you know, maybe smacked his head on the way out of the dugout or maybe he gets, like, pressure nosebleeds, whatever. You kind of hoped. But the second time, you kind of knew. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is upsetting. It's depressing. You know, you think of it from the standpoint, there's only so much a team can do. You can't force a player into rehab. Obviously, you can't force anyone into rehab. You know, but you do have to kind of feel for him because addiction is a genuine issue, no matter what your opinion on it is or not, no matter what your opinion on someone doing coke for the first time is or not. Addiction is a serious issue. And, you know, with the revelations of, you know, even just like the way he said he was going to take a blue oxy pill when he found out that he wasn't traveling with the Angels anymore and then he learned the Skaggs' news in the morning. It almost makes you kind of think like, holy shit, imagine if that was him too. And, you know, and you feel for Harvey because, you know, it's obviously something traumatic for him. And he clearly spoke of Skaggs as if they were friends and good friends. And now he's to sit there and relive his whole death, everything that led up to it. And, you know, not to say Harvey wasn't, was like an agitator in the situation, but this is what Harvey knew. This is how Harvey got through pain on the field. This is how Harvey kept himself on the field. He was just relaying the, you know, his methods, you know, and it's upsetting, and I think it's depressing. And, you know, and you have CJ Crone come forward and talk about it. You have Cambridge Rosen come forward and talk about it. You know, it's – my real bone to pick is with the aftermath from the New York media. Mm-hmm. You know, Terry Collins airing dirty laundry and airing personal emotions and private information he knew that he has no place airing. I respect the hell out of Kevin Ploiecki for out for calling Collins out for his, for taking like a media parade, like a media lap on, you know, and just like parading around with the struggles and the mental health issues of Matt Harvey, you know, where it's not his place. You know, if I've learned anything with my struggles and the struggles I've had is that one of the worst feelings in the world. And when you're that low, is having someone else take your burdens and exploit them. And it's, it sucks and it's fucking awful. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine what he's, I can't even imagine how Matt Harvey feels now seeing someone that he clearly trusted enough to confine this information and these emotions in. I'm not even going to say what they are, because it's not my place. Right. So someone he clearly trusts enough with this information on how he feels to see him now turn around and throw and just wave it around in the air so we can get an hour spot on the fan. And he can get a fucking segment on SMY with Salacita. Mm-hmm. And it's it's repulsive. It's gross. I think Kevin Plucky called it disrespectful and unprofessional. Unnecessary. Unprofessional and unnecessary. I really hope more guys come forward. You know, more guys from that team from that time come forward and say, yeah, this is messed up. You shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's more respect and dignity in Kevin Ploiecki calling Collins out for doing what he's doing than there isn't anything Collins has said. 
no matter if he said it now right. or if it's a spot he did two years ago that Mike Pumos was quoting in an article. Yeah. And even the New York Post. What type of headline is that? <laughs> you know, it's it's a publication that has spent made its whole that's made its whole like name lately off of dancing on dancing on the failures and the shortcomings of professional athletes. You know, I'm sure all all their staff writers and their publishers and their editors had the biggest frowns on their faces when Odell Beckham won a Super Bowl. And I'm sure they couldn't be happier to see him go down hurt because you have a story now. Right. Oh, that's all it's God. about. It's about clicks. It's about clicks. Well, that's a sports media today. They don't, they don't give a damn about what actually but the, happens on the, the field. The, the, post, the, the post specifically, I think, does this better than anyone else. And it's just – it's gross and it's repulsive. Yeah. And it's just – you feel for Matt Harvey, but I think it also shows, you know, a bigger issue in baseball where even if it starts with four or five guys on one team, like one cell, Harvey then goes to Baltimore. Crone then goes to Colorado. Bedrosian's now with the Phillies. You know, these guys go elsewhere with these ideas. Even and we, No one's stupid enough to know it. It's to think it started with the Angels that year. No one's that stupid. Well, I mean, come on. But – you know, even if it did, hypothetically, you now have it spreading to different teams. And it's just, it's, it's upsetting, you know, seeing, you know, like New York's kid, you know, Tarby grew up not long from there, became a superhero, was there long enough to see himself fall. And it's upsetting. You, you feel for the guy, you know, you're empathetic towards him. And I just I think it I think stuff like this brings out the worst in people and people you thought you respected. You know, it seemed like everyone in the clubhouse and the dugout, anyone that talks about Terry Collins has nothing but great things to say about. That's clearly not the case anymore because he's doing some I, I sort of victory so. I lap. I think it's changed. Yeah. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but I know Gary Blevins went on you know the Shea Anything pod that he does with with my buddy Jack Jolly Olive, and I know he went on and talked about it, and I I hope he was able to address it. Mm-hmm. You know, because. No one would be able to speak to, you know, how that makes former players feel better than him. A former player of Terry Collins who was there in 15 and 16 and 17. You know, so you just, it's sad. It's really sad. You hope Harvey gets the help he needs. You know, I know John Heyman said he had heard that from one of Harvey's friends that he's been getting help since 2019. He's on a better path now. He's living a better life. And I think that was clear, kind of evident with a lot of how he talked with when he did those media segments last year when he was back in New York. Yeah. You know, it seemed like he was just focused on baseball and he just wanted to fix things and try and give it one more chance. So you're just hoping you pray that he's in a better mindset. He's handling his problems well. But, you know, I saw someone say the other day, addiction's a serious issue until it's someone famous or an athlete. And then it's you're selfish. You're spending your money wrong. This is why people shouldn't – this is why you can't give kids this much money and however the fuck you want to put it. And it's just, it's sad. It's sad. You know, I feel for Matt, you know, as someone who's had my own you know, bucket list of issues, it's, it sucks and it hurts. And even like, you know, listening to Terry Collins brings up, you know, reminds me of stuff I had to deal with and, you know people right. take my issues and find them around for their betterment and to get people to sympathize with them and you know when it's just something you never want to see or hear 
But, no, it's you, know, you, you being a former manager and now a, like a New York personality doesn't give you the right to do that. And he, it doesn't matter what position like you are. You, you don't he have looks the like, right. He looks like a fucking joke. Yeah. He looks like a joke right now. And I lost a lot of respect for him. Many have. I don't think he quite has the same respect from players he used to. I hope SNY takes him off the airwaves. They're not going to. The amount of clicks that that no, got, the amount of, of traffic got to the website, because again, that's all sports media cares about right now. And you said it perfectly. Yes, mental health and addiction is a serious issue unless it's an athlete. Because once they, they show some sort of weakness, it's exactly what's going on with Harvard right now. That's what fans do. They latch on to it. They target them for it. They, they attack them and make them seem like they're less than they are. I'll bring up another example. I'll bring up another example. Everson Griffin with the Vikings a couple months ago. Come on. He had that scare. People were making, you know, my timeline and Instagram and TikTok and whatever, whatever platform you want to pick up, were just full of people joking on it and people trying to drag him. Yeah. When in reality, it's clearly a serious mental health issue. Yeah. Meanwhile, these you very know, same people that are attacking Matt Harvey right now, I guarantee you 90% of them, you go in their closet, guess what's in there? Minimum two Matt Harvey jerseys. You think they didn't spend the extra money to get that, that all-star game patch when he started the game in City Field? You think they didn't want to try to be exactly like him? You think they didn't they didn't do a, a lot what, like I did when I was growing up and Harvey was coming through through the ranks, texting their, their, their buddies or their mom saying, hey, happy Harvey Day, happy Harvey Day. Their timeline wasn't fluttered with happy freaking Harvey Day when, when Matt Harvey was pitching in 2012, 2013, 2014. This guy was a young kid, came drafted by New York. He became a star essentially overnight. He was Don the freaking comic book hero's nickname. They called him the Dark Knight because he was pitching in New York and pitching damn well. Carried this team when they had nothing going on. They were in the freaking dumps. And guess what he did? He still went out there every fifth fucking day. He picks his ass off. Yeah, he was bleeding, but guess what? He still picks through it. The whole thing with Tommy John, what Scott Boris or Dr. Boris, as he even slipped and said in the interview, he went through the innings limit. He wants to go back out there in, in the ninth inning of the World Series. He did everything he could for this friggin' franchise and these fans that are now bashing him for a serious issue. If you're one of those people, that, are, that see a weakness in a person or an athlete, whatever it is, whether it be uh, drug addiction, depression, alcoholism, whatever it may be, you're a fucking clown. Look at yourself in the mirror and get you some help yourself. Jesus Christ, the people that are, are seeing Harvey for what he is and, and attacking him for it, the hell is wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? It's disgusting. It's disgusting because Jack, no, it is. And I, you, I've been in the same spot as you. We've we've talked somewhat privately about the issues that we've had in our past, and you said it perfectly. The fact that people alienate these people and use our weaknesses and everyone else's weaknesses to make themselves feel better and put themselves on a pedestal. Get the hell out of here! What the hell's wrong with you? No, and you. My hope is that those people who feel that way about those issues don't have kids. Or never in a, or are never in a position where you have to help someone in that spot. You never have a child in that spot, a brother, a sister, a parent. It's just repulsive. There's bigger issues to worry about in the world right now than a an athlete testifying again as testifying for someone and who like, considered a friend. Not, the guy died. Even right, and even not have the decency to understand. 
that he is not rehashing something I promise you has been on his mind almost every day since it happened. Because if you listen to what he said and you read what he said in that testimony, it's clearly something that's fucked him up. Oh, yeah. People don't consider the mental aspect of what it takes to be an athlete in New York, in L.A., and anywhere. And not even that. And if he just sees one of his good friends die from the same issue he has, you think he's going to look at it and go, whoa, not for me good anymore, Lord. just cut cold turkey? It's not like it's driving without a seatbelt yeah. or texting and driving or like not tying your shoes before you go on a run or some stupid shit. He's not going to go, oh, whoa, he's dead. I'm no more cocaine issue for me. No more drug problems for me. That's not how that works. It's not, it's not how that works. I know we, we had just kind of gone on a little, our little ramblings and, and, Shown our frustration with, go, with what's going on. But in all seriousness, people, if you need help, get it. Reach out to someone. I, I, I can promise you, as someone who's been in that spot, it's okay to not be okay. And more importantly, you're never alone. I, I know I just spit out two cliches. But again, as someone who's been in that spot, it's true. There's people around you that want to help that care. So if you need that help, that first step is the hardest thing to do. The amount of times I, that mm -hmm. I, I've wanted to reach out to just say anything, but felt ashamed. So I, I would delete it or I would hang up something or just change the topic completely. That first step is the hardest. You take that first leap, no, I, um, you watch how easy yeah. it is to just let everything else out. If you need the help, get the help. Yeah. You know, there's specified hotlines for different issues, specified hotlines for different age groups, whatever your, you know, like subpopulation might be. There are different people specialized and trained to help you. And again, like it doesn't hurt just to reach out and say hi. Just as someone, you know, even you know, I'm speaking now to people who like, if, you, if you're worried about someone, you think someone might not be okay, just ask them how they're doing. To let them know you're there. If you're like, I got a buddy right now, got in a nasty accident and almost died a couple weeks, maybe a month ago now. It's got some permanent brain issues because of it. And I have permanent brain damage and like short-term memory loss and like have all sort of like mental health issues that spiral because of the brain damage. It's tough and you don't, and you get confused easy and you get stressed easy and you break down more often. And it's just, and it sucks because it's not because of like some major mental, like life-changing trigger that happened. It's hit my head too damn hard. Mm-hmm. But seeing like how much has changed my life and knowing that he might not know anyone else in his life who can relate to that. But the other day I just reached out to him and I said, Hey man, I know you told me like a couple, like a week or so ago that like you have this issue now. I understand it. I've been there. I know our stories aren't the same, not the same causes and the reactions and the changes might not even be the same, but I understand the general overall, you know, focus of it all. And I get it need someone to talk to you you need some help i'm always here if you don't want to talk you just want to sit on our asses drink beer and play video games that's fine too like hmm. whatever you think you need whatever you think you will make you feel better and help just let me know and he got back to me he was like yeah man like it's really confusing and it's really upsetting and it's really weird and i'm trying to learn how to just deal with it all thank you like i appreciate it it's nice to know someone else gets it and as simple as that mm -hmm. i just had to say hey man this sucks i've been there too happened to me too let me know if i can help It'd be the same as if, like, you knew a kid, like a buddy in college who's taking taking a class you just took, and you know the class is really hard. Hey, man, 
took that class last semester. It's really <laughs> tough. I get it. You know, if you need help with it, let me know. Like, like if you don't understand one of the essays, let me know. It doesn't hurt to reach out. Doesn't it really to reach doesn't. out. Simple as that. Re- you know, reaching out changed my life. Probably saved it. I'm not the only person with that story. No. You know, it takes a lot, but I'm not ashamed of my mental health. I don't think it's the it's, it's battle to get there. But if anyone's ashamed of you for how you feel, they're not worth your time. They're not worth your time in the first place. Right on the money. I don't know. That's that's all I got. That's all I got. You want to yeah. you want to close out with anything, or are we ending it here? Um, labor negotiations tomorrow at one. Hopefully, we don't have to scrap the whole podcast. <laughs> hopefully, there's actual. We had to do that before. No, I mean, hopefully we get, you know, I read the players are making a proposal tomorrow. Hopefully we get some movement. Any, you know, I know we say any news is better than no news, but it seemed like every meeting so far has done nothing. Yeah. Hasn't even budged the needle. So hopefully tomorrow we get some substantial offers. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll even get like a counter offer a day or two later. And this time the, you know, the league won't bitch out of giving a counter offer. So. Let's just hope for progress. Hope for progress. That's that's all we can say. As always, LFGM.